1: Sam, congratulations on your new job. Um, You moved from creative director, Audio on Demand, to now head of entertainment and news content for digital audio. What does that mean? (laughs) Great question. I think it's a more confusing title for the same job, (laughs) but
2: but, um, look, we're really lucky um, at Podcast One and the whole sort of digital audio component of SCA has seen a huge amount of growth from an audience perspective and from a revenue perspective. Yeah, we just continue to grow and, and reorganise ourselves so that we've got the best people in the best positions to help us capitalise on on the growth.
1: Really, your career has been, you know, logical steps, um, executive producer, creative director, audio on demand, and now this, this new job, it would have given you some great perspectives on how programming has changed from just radio, when you were EP of radio programs, to now this multitude of delivery platforms. What are your thoughts on that? When, um, when I was producing
0: Hamish and Andy, I mean, like our first year in Drive... We started
2: a podcast, you know, we were publishing the show as a radio show, obviously, and then we were publishing it as a podcast as well, before, like, anyone else was, like, in radio anyway, was really doing that, and it was kind of seen as, why are you giving the show away for free without ads? (laughs) Um, You know, won't that make it difficult for the sales team? But we knew that all our friends were listening to podcasts. And we also knew that even though the podcast audience was really small compared to the broadcast audience, it was really engaged because 50% of all the feedback we got from listeners was from people who would listened to the show's podcast. So we kind of knew that we were onto something there. And and then we just, as a new platform developed, we experimented with it. So you know facebook and twitter and instagram and website we just always saw it as a way to kind of push the content out to to new audiences and and the, i guess the other thing about digital be it social media or podcast is it's much more shareable than radio all the big ideas and like the the kind of things that that the guys did that are memorable For it to kind of gather momentum, often we had to take it off the radio and put it into a format that would allow people to share it. So, I mean, I think that all programmers now see see digital as a way of not just marketing their show, but as audiences that
1: they need to serve, audiences that they need to cater to. One of the interesting things, of course, from those early days of podcasting, which is still now until somebody works out the copyright deals differently, is that pretty much music is a no no. So podcasts are talk podcasts. And when you've got great talent like Hamish and Andy and interesting, uh, insightful news people, you know, that really powers the talk. But what about people who, you know, the whole radio show is meant to be a combination of music and talk. Do those shows work on the podcast medium?
2: I think different publishers are experimenting with different, different approaches there. I think a lot of the Triple J podcast content like, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the show now, Inspired, that Linda Mariano used to host, and mm-hmm. um, I think Lucy Smith is now hosting I mean, they're using the approach of, well, what if we just play sort of 10 second snippets of things or sort of 15 second snippets of things, and maybe because they're the ABC, that, that seems to be everyone is happy to turn a blind eye there. Um, With Matt and Alex, one of the new shows that that we launched this year, like so many musicians want to be on that show. Like the feedback we get from the record companies is overwhelming, that artists just love talking to Matt and Alex. So we often use little short grabs of whatever song it is that they're promoting. And generally bands and artists, I think, and publishers are all happy to just accept that that's part of the promotion. Shows like what's, there's a really famous show on BBC like Desert, Desert Island
1: Discs. Yep, yeah,
2: um, I think that's going to struggle until there's either a, someone works out how to yeah, how to get around the copyright reason. But I also think you know, radio is much more lean back, right? So lean back seems to kind of work with a combination of songs you haven't picked i.e. the not-off-your-own Spotify playlist, and talk. Whereas podcasting is much more lean-in. So
0: I think people are happy to have the music taken out, um, or at
2: least most of the music taken out, but I think, um, yeah, there's certainly like just a a music shift isn't going to work as a podcast, if that's your question.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of things there. One is the the audience consumption habit, I think, has changed. I mean, if you're listening to a podcast on your smartphone, then when you've had enough talk, you can just pause it, you can open your Spotify, you can listen to a few music tracks, and then you can go back when you feel like... The next bit of the talk podcast. So I I think it affects um, consumption habits. But I also think that actually this is the biggest issue coming in the next year that the radio and podcasting industry has to deal with in Australia and worldwide. I think we just have to work out the right kind of payment for the right kind of deals and then allow the the platforms to put in recognition algorithms like they do on YouTube and then just recognize the songs automatically and let some payments go to the people who make those songs
2: yeah it's an interesting point it's certainly it's certainly something we need to work out but I don't know if I agree that it's the biggest issue I mean I think if you look at the Australian podcast charts it's dominated by re- re-edited republished radio shows, so people are clearly happy to listen to the majority of radio content as podcasts, but I do take your point, though, there's a whole other spectrum of radio content that's not being distributed as podcasts that, that perhaps will be able to once we work out those
1: licensing deals. And talking of the charts, um, you've got some quite a few of your shows in the, the top 20, the top 50 Point out two or three of the ones that you're really happy with.
2: Ooh, how do you choose your favourite kids?
1: Um, (laughs) You love them all equally, don't you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Look, really proud of the briefing. The briefing, like I've worked for a long time in comedy and have never produced a news program, have wanted to work with Tom Tilly for a really long time and the stars aligned a little bit with him coming off Triple J and me moving into this role... We developed the concept for The Briefing as a daily news show over a couple of weeks and um, and then turned it around really quickly. We are so fortunate to be able to get Annika Smethurst working on it with us, who's an incredible journalist, uh, and, and, you know, people may know her. She's the...
1: She's the, the, one, the one who journalist. was raided. Exactly. So you know you're doing something right when the AFP doesn't want you to talk about... What you know
2: about. Um, and then obviously Jan Fran is just an absolute weapon and just one of the most interesting and uh, intelligent broadcasters I've had the, the chance to work with. And Jamila Rizvi, you know, probably don't have enough time to talk about how impressive she is. So uh, it's just a bit of a dream team. And then our executive producer Nick McClure, who I'm sure you're familiar yeah, with, one of the great. most experienced EPs in the country. Um, so it's a bit of a dream team. And I think the product speaks to that. It's just such incredible quality every morning and the logistics that they go through to put that show together every morning. You know, we could do a whole podcast on just that
0: it's (laughs) it's a, it's a beast. So super proud of that. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze,
2: Kick everyone out of our studios I had the pleasure of relearning how to panel um, so got got back in the in the studio and was, was producing and panelling that show for sort of while Melbourne was in its the grips of its second lockdown so that was a heap of fun I mean I just every morning listen to that show and it's just one of the most funny breakfast shows I've ever heard and I love that it's sitting on demand um, I can't. I'm not seeing that anywhere else. So really proud of that. Love working with M. Rusciano. Her new her podcast is an a performer kind of doing the exact show she should be doing. Um, she would agree, possibly for the first time. Love that. And we've just launched in the last week or last two weeks the Sugar Rush out of Brisbane. Um, those two girls uh, who do the early breakfast show on the hit network uh have got incredible rapport really funny and they're delivering a daily 10 minute pop culture show for us so it's pop culture news big five stories in under 10 minutes with really well produced and really funny and um this week we've just launched the scorecard so that's a daily sports news show um written and hosted and produced by liam flanagan who also co-hosts the rush hour on triple m sydney again it's he's it really funny scripts really high production and for sports fans to be able to get across the five big news stories in about five minutes i've forgotten the big one and yeah. obviously yeah, yeah. the thing that i've sp- spent most of the last few months doing is hamish and andy's remembering project yeah yeah so, of course i mean that's just been
1: I I kind of pinched myself that it feels like the sort of thing
2: I'd be doing just for fun, let alone publishing but myself and Chris Marsh and Hamish and Andy and the whole team have been able to go back through our 20 years worth of archives and as with all things Hamish and Andy they weren't happy just doing a best of show, even though everyone else was happy with that. They wanted to come up with a, a unique concept and they've certainly delivered that, so Yeah, I encourage everyone to go and have a listen to The Remembering Project as well.
1: Yes, I really like the the angle they put on it, that it's them trying to remember those best of bits. It's them, isn't it? They always want to do something a little bit different, not the standard thing. Exactly.
2: Like, I've sort of... It's been a few years since I've worked with them this closely and forgot the level of detail and care and consideration that goes into everything that they do yes it's it's been a lot of fun getting the band back together to to put that together and you know i think all of us were concerned We, we didn't want to just do something that was for hardcore fans we wanted it to be big and broad and um approachable for all people whether you've listened to everything they've done or nothing they've done and i think they've certainly achieved that
1: And M. Rossiano always said that really she didn't think she was um, the right fit for live breakfast radio, so it sounds like she's found her medium now.
2: Yeah, look, I think Em is, she's such a a singular performer, you know, she's so clear on what she wants to do, how she wants to do it, who she wants to do it with, and that that can be really challenging in, in a breakfast radio team dynamic, so... She's the first person to say that, and she's, this, this podcast is her idea. She's doing it with her best mate, Michael Lucas, who is just a, a complete surprise, to be honest. I've not had anything to do with Michael. He's, a, he's one of Australia's foremost screenwriters, um, created Offspring, among other iconic Australian TV shows. And, you know, the banter between the two of them is just first-class It's a really strong show, and her her fans love it, but she's a whole heap of new listeners are discovering her through that podcast as well.
1: I want to just come back to the briefing and the new sports show. It seems to me that there's a new trend for young listeners to want to consume news, but not in the old-fashioned way of a top-of-the-hour news bulletin or a long-form current affairs show are you seeing interesting different trends in consumption from the data that you're getting from those programs
2: yeah correct i mean the number one podcast in the world is the new york times the daily and so if nothing else that makes a really clear point that there's a, a huge thirst for podcast daily podcast news content our first horse in that race was the briefing but it's also I guess to take a step back really exciting for us as a business I mean daily topical content is what we've done as a business for however long SCA's been around so it, it's it's an obvious choice for us to, to start to dig into that and go well what else what other daily news products can we create and so the briefing was our first, our first crack and, and it's been it's exceeded all our expectations commercially and from an audience perspective, and so the next two... and then and similarly with with Matt and Alex, it's it's daily, it's um, it's there for people first thing in their in their feeds each morning, and you know that sort of under thirties audience that might not be listening to FM radio as much anymore, um, but are definitely consuming podcasts. There's a show. There's a breakfast show there for them each morning for their commute, and so and similarly with the scorecard and Sugar Rush. So, it's it's new. It's we've got pop culture news daily for you at six am, and we've got um, sports news for you daily at six am. It's all written and produced for a, a younger leading audience, and it's it's working really well.
1: Yeah, great. Um, lastly, the business side of it. Are these things making money, and how are they making money?
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, we're just trying to think. With the briefing at the moment, we're sort of just commenced a seven-week sponsorship from the Commonwealth Bank. Matt and Alex are booked right through to the end of the year. Absolutely, the shows are well sponsored and making great money. No surprises that Hamish and Andy's Room Project was sold before we even had the thing made. What's interesting about daily content is that we're able to be really creative with our content integration. So some some of our podcasts we produce as seasons. You know, once once the shows are done and dusted, they're, they're a little bit locked away, and there's not a lot we can do from a content perspective for clients. But with daily shows, similarly to daily radio, we can be a little bit more creative at times with how we bring our sponsor's message to life within the mid-rolls because we've got, we're working with the talent day in, day out, five days a week. We can just be a little bit more creative with that, which obviously clients really like.
1: It sounds to me like you're selling it a bit more like selling a television series than traditional live flow radio
2: well, I don't have any experience with selling TV series, so I'm not sure. But it's certainly more more akin to how we would sell sponsorships of our radio shows than than perhaps how we've sold our podcasts
0: mm-hmm. before. But again, I'm new to it, so I'm a little bit hesitant to comment yeah.
2: on sort of historical stuff with Podcast One. But uh, yeah, I, I, bet, I mean, it may, and maybe that's just my skills and my experience. Like I, my my experience, sorry, has been client integration. I mean, that's what we did. That was sort of often 50% of our time with Hamish and Andy, or my time with Hamish and Andy, was was figuring out brief responses to try and pay for all the stupid shit we wanted to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's a lovely way to finish. Thanks for the chat, Sam. <laughs> Pleasure, mate. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,